0: blog talk radio
1: this is all about wine on blog talk radio the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009 featuring winemaker cellar master vineyardist and tasting expert
2: Ron basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly from coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that.
1: Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646 727 3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646 727 3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Yeah. Here's Ron.
0: Right. To 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 <laughs> <laughs> keep close and stay huddled together. <laughs> keep yeah, the uh, keep adding yeah. wood to the fire. Yeah, um, he
2: wants the other bodies to keep you warm. Yeah. That's we awesome. were just
0: talking about the weather before the show started, and uh,
2: I'm
0: talking about uh, Kansas, Kansas or Kansas City, Kansas City,
2: Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri.
0: Above freezing. Wow.
2: <laughs> it, yeah, jumped up above freezing for I don't know how long for a few minutes today, but. Uh, then it dropped down right away. I just saw the mm-hmm. temperature there about 10 minutes before we came on the air, and it was already dropped down to 20. So, you know, I mean, I know. but still, though, they, they got up above that freezing point. I remember when I, yeah. uh, uh, a few years ago, they hit a stretch where they did not get above zero for like five days. I mean, hmm. uh, zero for like five days. And so wow. I they could bounce up to 32. That's not bad at all. They were probably running around in shorts and in t-shirts uh, when I 32 today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is bad. Out. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, 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 we can yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. We start, over here, we start wearing our coats when it's like, what, mid-60s, I guess? Uh, something yeah, it's around that cold, there.
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. mid-60s. In, yeah, That's 60. winter.
2: Yeah, 68, 69 degrees. You start putting on the jackets, and then mid 60s, the coats come on. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: We're uh the uh phone number is still on the intro disregard that do not call the phone number uh even though it is active uh, more than likely i'll just answer it and say what do you want and and, and, <laughs> up and after that but uh, if you if you have a <laughs> if you have yeah. a serious well, if you have a serious comment or question go to the website allaboutwinebtr.com and uh, there's a, a a chat now or live chat button there uh, just a little bit down the page, or in the, on the right-hand side, it's in two places that I know of, and you can click on that, yeah. and that kind of alerts me here. And we can, uh, you know, just give your name, uh, your first name, your, uh, you know, where you're from, that kind of thing, and, and your uh, comment or question, and then I'll, I'll break into the show and and uh, see what we can do. Well, um, yeah. Handle that way, yeah. Or, um mm-hmm. Or you can or. even email
2: us at allaboutwine101@gmail.com. Oh, Absolutely. and we will uh, I'll see that you can do that anytime and I'll see yeah. that and I'll address it and in fact I have uh, uh, some questions that we will be addressing tonight from a Gmail question so uh, oh, yeah. we do it that way also but we had to stop the live because well people just can't behave so we had to right. stop the live
0: so. using it for other means and not for wine discussion or purposes yeah. so that's so
2: we thank to... you
0: very much you know, that's how it goes
2: yeah, that's how it goes. but we still will address any questions or anything you have if it's about wine, you know, uh, how to make a fortune on the Internet or anything. We can't help you on that, but about wine, we can do a little bit. So um, last week, I gave you the last list of what food thing coming up, because I don't have a list anymore. So I guess unless I start getting that magazine again, which I don't know why I'm not, but. Uh, if I do, we'll start giving you what pair or what the days are and the months. But tomorrow, being the first day of February, then uh, uh, it's ended. I don't have any February one. First day of February. Oh, by the way, shout out to my sister. It's her birthday today. Uh, so, if she's listening, which I don't think, very little of my, okay, there you go, thank you. Very little of my family listens to my show, so. But uh, one of them is, we have a new listener tonight, Uh, my stepson has signed up for it and he said he's going to listen, so welcome to the show Casey, if you're out there listening and uh, we'll uh, hope we keep you entertained and fascinated, as we do everyone, so any other comments before we jump into the meat here Mike?
0: No, uh, we've had uh, two people on the website right now. Uh, nobody chatting yet. So, uh, California, there was one from California, and uh, one's uh, on France. So, if you're looking to chat, click on those buttons and let me know.
2: We'll yeah, go you know, we'll address the stuff right away. Then, no matter what I'm doing, he can he can jump in there and yeah. we can take care <laughs> of it. So. So. Um, Trivia. Let's let's do let's do a trivia here to start with. Our uh, uh, couple of them, uh, to start with here. Uh, let's see. Old vines in Australia. Australia may seem wonderfully modern in, in wine terms; it's certainly part of the New World. But Australia is also the oldest of the seven continents, and it boosts some of the oldest vineyards on the planet. For example, it's not uncommon to find Grenache and Syrahs, or Syrah vines in Australia that are more than 100 years old. The Aussies call these vines centurions. Amazingly, many of these oldsters are on their own roots, not grafted to American rootstock. Since, Australia was not crippled by phylloxera. We've talked about phylloxera in the past. It's uh, that root-eating aphid that devastated the world between 1860 and 1890. Another reason those old wines have been preserved, unlike the United States, nothing like prohibition ever occurred in Australia. Yay for them. And let's do one more trivia here while we're on that subject. All oak barrels may look the same, but they aren't. And we need to talk about oak more. I I need to get a hold of it uh, a cooper uh, and a cooperage and talk about oak and there's lots of them I have names of I just need to call them and get them scheduled and I've been saying this for three years and I haven't done it yet the two most famous types are known as burgundy pieces and Bordeaux Baroque a burgundy piece P-I-E-C-E is 220 liters in capacity low and squat with a deep round bulge for the spent yeast, known as lees, to settle in. With more lees contact, a wine becomes creamier and softer, just what the high-acidity wines of Burgundy need. The staves of a Burgundy barrel are also fairly thick, 27 millimeters, since both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are relatively fragile grapes and need protection from too much oxygen. A. bordeaux the V-A-R-R-I-Q-U-E, holds 225 liters, as opposed to 228 of the Burgundy, and is higher and longer. It also has thinner staves, only 20 millimeters, as opposed to 27 of the Burgundy. This reflects the fact that Cabernet and Merlot evolve and age more gracefully when helped by minute amounts of oxygen. So... There you go on those two. All, if I remember, visit trivia again before we end the show tonight. We got some questions. Um, Casey actually sent in some questions to me. And uh, I'm, I'm going to address some of them. I'm not going to address them all because I think next week, well, let me uh, go through them here. Next week, I think we're going to dedicate a program. Uh, to one of his questions. But uh, he he had a question here. He asked, uh, well, one of the questions was, what's exactly is the difference between wine and port? And I was talking to Mike before the show, and we haven't discussed port in quite some time. It's been a while since we went into the making of port or anything like that. And I've got a nice uh, series of, Actually, I use them in the newsletter I sent out when the winery was open. And it, they are a good set of information about port. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll get into detail on port. So it's next week's show will will be about port. But we do have other questions. Here he wrote, my first question is about snake wine. He says, I own a bottle of it, but it's old and I don't know if it has an expiration date. Furthermore, I hear that some type, uh, it has some type of medicinal value. For what I'm not sure, do you know? Well, let's talk about snake wine for a m- moment here. Snake wine is made with snakes. Uh, they actually do use snakes and it. It's usually a, a rice wine or just grain alcohol. It's all called snake wine. Uh, it's first recorded in China... During the Western Zhou Dynasty, I think that's how it's pronounced, Zhou, Z-H-O-U Dynasty, which was 1040 to 770 BC, so quite a long span there, it's considered to be quite creative and believed to reinvigorate people. This is according to traditional Chinese medicine, and traditional Chinese medicine goes into a lot of stuff. It can be found in China, in India, Vietnam, and throughout Southeast Asia. I believe this is where he got his bottles from, Vietnam. The snakes are preferably venomous, and the meat is preserved in the uh, alcohol. Uh, The venom is dissolved in the alcohol, so it doesn't really pose a threat to the drinker. Uh, It is a denatured, uh, the venom is denatured by the alcohol, uh, I'm sorry, denatured by the ethanol, and its proteins are unfolded and and inactive. And it would also further be uh, denatured by the stomach acids anyway, so it wouldn't affect at all. Um, There's a street in Taipei, Taiwan, that is known for selling Uh, snake wine, and actually other types, scorpion wine and uh, gecko wine and seahorse wine. These are all similar type drinks. Uh, It's not just snake wine, but the others. Uh, The the snake wine has been followed by traditional Chinese for for centuries, first recorded in 771 in the Western Zhao dynasty, and it has uh, been... Seen in different writings as far back as 300 BC and then uh, some at 200 AD, in areas of there where it was used in different manuals telling the benefits of snake wine. Uh, it's different types, uh, snake feces, or their body parts, or various preparations. Uh, and different types were elaborated in these manuals and telling how it can be done. Many areas of Vietnam uh, still have snake wine. Uh, the uh, uh, snakes were widely believed to possess a medicinal quality, and so it was advertised to cure everything, you know, from, from farsightedness to hair loss, uh, as well as to increase sexual performance. Uh, snake wine is also, I believe, by some to improve health and virility. So, any type, I could say, geckos, seahorses, uh, scorpions, all have been used uh, with wine, which is rice wine more than anything. It's high alcohol, usually, so it's not gulp. It is done in shot glasses, traditional shot glasses. And some people actually do eat parts of the snake as the wine is being done. Different parts supposed to be even better for you. For example, the gallbladder, eyeball, stomach of the snake. It is illegal to be sold out of the countries now because a lot of the snakes that are being used in snake wine, there has been used in snake wine, are on the endangered species list different types of snake wine. The one type is uh, steeped. This is uh, where the whole snake is placed into the glass jar and uh, along with sometimes smaller snakes and different um, additional herbs and then it's let to steep for months until it becomes good and fermented. Uh, the wine is then in, in small shots. Uh Snakes may be inserted into containers while still alive, causing them to drown, and uh, sometimes the snakes will uh, be put on ice first, which stuns them, and then the distiller cuts the snake open, guts it, and then sews it shut again uh, while it's on the ice, then puts it in the jar where the snake briefly reawakens and thrashes around, then curls up an aggressive pose, a strike pose, before dying. And this is the ideal way to do it because uh, the removal of the snake's digestive tract reduces the pungent smell of the finished wine. And also, with the snake in a curled position, is suggestive that the snake is fierce in spirit, and so therefore it's better to cure the... Feels and melodies of whatever you are drinking it, uh, for whatever reason you're drinking it. So that's one method. Then the other is uh, fresh body fluids from the snake are mixed into the alcohol and consumed immediately. Uh, You can take snake blood uh, or uh, 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 drain the blood from uh, the snake on into the uh, your shot glass and drink it that way, uh, or contents of the gallbladder, or the heart, or different things like this, and throw it into your shot and drink it with uh, uh, with the snake parts in it. And that's your again your cure all. Your ways to help you fix your diseases. So I doubt seriously that it's good after a period of time. It probably be rice wine with a high content of alcohol. With a, rice wine, might keep it for a while, but probably not too long. The to stuff not really made to be aged. So, more than likely, if you have a bottle of snake wine that's any older than uh, five or six years old, I would guess that it is probably not good anymore. Uh, good to look at, good to display. Good to have because you have a bottle with a snake in it, but other than that, I wouldn't waste the time or the fear of drinking it because no telling what it might do to you. So, there's uh, answers his question on snake wine, Um, and then Portwell answered that. We'll get into port next week, uh, a whole show of port next week. He also asked another one here. Uh, He he said this might seem like a dumb one, but he doesn't know. And I'm sure most people don't. The question was, what type of wine or port or alcohol do St. Bernard's carry around in that little barrel around their neck? And he also said, more importantly, why? Well, that is a good question. And so, as I checked it out, I found that there's a couple of stories behind that. If you've ever watched cartoons or, you know, old movies or stuff like this, it took place in the Alps and everything. You'd always see the, the St. Bernard's wandering out there with their with the little barrel of little kegs around their neck, and great big old St. Bernard's. But, where did it come from? What brought this on? What is this? Well, I, I was checking into this, and I discovered a couple of things. Number one, the St. Bernard's were actually developed by monks. The legend has it, the St. Bernard of Mentona, Menthona, M-E-N-T-H-O-N-E, uh, St. Bernard, and that was his name. St. Bernard, that's not a dog, that is a monk, created a monastery and a hospice around 1049 A.D. and the only thoroughfare between Italy and Switzerland in the Alps. And this was a very dangerous, snowy thoroughfare, by the way, uh, that was uh, treacherous in the winter. And it was known as the Great St. Bernard Pass, named after the monk. And the 17th century, and again, this was 1049 when the monastery was created. So in the 17th century, these dogs became companions to the residents of the monks and were thought to have been the results of breeding a Mastiff-style dog uh, originally brought by the Romans with local dogs from the Swiss countryside. So uh, you're looking at the 17th century, that the St. Bernard dog itself was Uh, actually bred into existence. These dogs used to accompany the monks on search patrols through the pass, and the dogs could detect avalanches in advance. Uh, Their sense of smell was far greater. As we all know, dogs can smell things that humans could never uh, hope to detect. And so they would be able to detect avalanches in advance, and they also were able to find people buried in snow. And so over the years, the roles turned into one of search and rescue, more so than just accompaniment. And they were often sent out in groups to search to pass when the weather was too inclement for the monks. And they would see if they could find people, and, and if they did, uh, they would rescue them. So between 1860 and 1880, uh, the weather was so severe in the pass that the majority of the dogs perished and the bread almost came close to extinction because of those severe years. But the records indicate that the monks may have tried to replenish the line with other dogs, such as the Newfoundlands, while rescue efforts continued in the past. But to get into the reason and the question of the cask around the neck, once a trapped traveler was found during a rescue mission. One dog would lie on the person to keep him warm, while another dog went back to the monastery to get help. The theory enters here that the dogs wore small kegs on their collars that held brandy or wine for the travelers to drink to keep them warm. Okay, so that was the purpose of it. It was actually brandy, a type of wine. In any type, more than like their red wine, brandy. I would, you know, brandy or wine would not freeze in the snow either. So either one would work. So this is the purpose of them wearing the cask around them. The next is to keep the people warm until the other dog, Lassie, go get help. Till the other dog came back and saved them. But, but another theory. Seems to appear here that puts doubt on maybe all of that. In 1820, a Sir Edwin Henry Lancer, who was a, a painter of animals, and actually had a dog breed named after him. He was so so good about his paintings, uh, Sir. Edwin Henry Lancer, created an image of two St. Bernards saving a traveler in the great St. Bernard Pass. Uh, A great painting. One dog was painted with a keg on his collar while the other stood over the fallen man. Some say that the keg collar was added merely for artistic effect and that's actually where it originated, in that painting. Not from the early Monks and St. Bernard saving people, but everything from that painting. And you can understand possibly cartoons picking up and stuff like that. That makes for a cute story. Because of fires reportedly ruined any records of how these barrels were used at the monastery, it's virtually impossible to verify what story is accurate and which one actually describes the cake's true origins. So, whatever theory, uh, the monastery past and the hospice still stand there after hundreds of years, and it's just a beacon for weary travelers. You can visit there; they have a visitors uh, center that have accommodations, dining, you know, all that stuff is available. So you can check it out yourself, and they also have keg collars on sale uh, there, and you can also go on the internet and find. Uh, kegs, I don't know if they're just it's probably just for fun and for display but you can also find kegs and all that so um, there you go, there's your story about the about the uh, St. Bernard's and the collars and where it came from and what they do I thought it was interesting, thanks for the question Casey that is a uh, that is a good question, an interesting little story there uh, but i like to I like to think that it wasn't just a painting that caused all, the, all the history and all that. I like to think that was more along the lines of the fact that the monks really did do that and that they saved people and the dogs laid over them and all that. That makes for a better story to me. He had a couple of other questions here. One of them was, how exactly do we match a wine to a meal? So this might be common knowledge, but not to me. And it's not to a lot of people. I was asked that question really quite often at the winery. What? How do you know what to match? And I, I think the easiest way to do it, I always like to tell about the guy who came into the winery one day. He had a book that was about the size of a phone book. This thing was enormous, uh, Eight by 11, eight and a half by 11, whatever size the normal sheet is. And it was about an inch and a half thick. And this book listed page after page after page of wine and food pairings. And it wasn't in written text, it wasn't paragraphs or anything, it's just a list. And there would be like two columns on each page, and each column at the top of the page it would say Cabernet Sauvignon and then it would list foods that would go well with the Cabernet Sauvignon and he asked if we could sell these books for him and I said well how much do you want for them? he said well I have to have $32 out of these I said no we can't sell them because we would not be able to sell these for anything more than $32 if that and so we would just be his outlet for selling it and so I said no we couldn't do that we'd have to make some money ourselves for doing this and It wouldn't sell for any more than 32, so we told him, no, thank you. But the problem with his book was not so much that it wasn't comprehensive and he didn't do a lot of research. I give him a lot of credit for that, and I'm sure he was self-published, and I hope that he was able to sell some of his books. But just saying Cabernet Sauvignon goes well with steak or with a T-bone steak or with a porterhouse steak or something doesn't always work. And so, therefore... The book was a good idea, but in practice, it wasn't. Food and wine pairings, and a very simple, easy rule to remember for food and wine pairings, is balance. And that's it. Balance. You want your food to balance with your wine, and you want the wine to balance with your food. Simply And I always used to ask people, "What would you match up with pasta?" And people would always shout out, "You know, uh, red wine." Well, no. If you would have yourself angel pasta with a little bit of oil and herbs on it, as your, you know, and, and mix it up that way, a red wine would tend to overpower that pasta to the point where you would start losing some of the minute flavors of the pasta so you would want yourself a lighter wine, uh, maybe a rosé or some sort of white wine and so again, pasta spaghetti with a heavy garlicky meat sauce where the fork stands up in the middle of your plate you would want a red wine you would want to balance that wine with a meal, same thing with fish What wine with fish again It depends. You have tilapia that is browned on both sides. You squeeze some uh, uh, lemon on it, throw it on the plate over some rice. You're going to want a light white wine. You're going to want a wine that's going to not take away from that, but to complement it. And the fish will complement the wine. Whereas, on the other hand, a swordfish steak, blackened, seasoned with new potatoes, you're going to want a red wine. You're going to want something that's going to stand up to that. And that goes through with everything. You want a balance. You don't want the wine to be so heavy, so powerful, so, so much oak or tannins in it that it's going to overpower your mill. Yet, on the other hand, you don't want a wine that's so light that your mill is going to be so strong that you won't taste the wine. Have yourself a glass of water if you're going to do that because it's going to give you the same results. So if you always keep in mind balance, I want something to balance this wine with this meal, then you can usually be right on most of the time. There are some exceptions as there is with everything in wine. There is no yes or no answers for anything when it comes to wine. But as far as, Wine and food, though, if you keep in mind that balance, you want going to be right most of the time and it won't be too wrong. And if somebody fools you, if you're going to somebody's house and you're taking a wine that is not what you expect them to serve, then, you know, tell them, put it away. I don't mind. Enjoy it later and, you know, not have it with the meal. So there you go. And he had another question for... A couple more here. One I'm not going to answer right now. Well, yeah, well. So, I said, what's the difference between a $100 bottle of wine and a $10 bottle of wine? $90. No, there's more to it than that. But it's a debate. I've discussed this on the show before in depth. It's a debate if there really is a difference. Yes, there is. Uh, there is a difference between a $100 bottle of wine and a $10 bottle of wine, just like there's a difference between going to a restaurant Uh, Outback, getting yourself a $15, $20 sirloin, or going to Denny's and getting yourself a $7 sirloin. All right? They're both sirloins, yes, but you're getting what you pay for. And basically, that's the difference. You get what you pay for. Yes, there's some cost built into the $100 bottle of wine that you don't find in the $10 bottle of wine, but the quality's there, the grapes are there, and everything else. So these are things that when uh, you're picking up a bottle of wine, that little bit of extra is going to give you extra. And yes, you can taste the difference. You know, people always say, well, I can't tell the difference between $100 and $10. Yeah, you can. You know, that's like the saying I, I can't tell the difference between a, um, a hamburger at McDonald's and a hamburger at TGI Fridays. Yeah, you can. There is a difference. Uh, and the quality's there and everything else is there. And so you can tell the difference. And you're paying for it and you're getting the quality that you want. So don't shortchange your taste buds and saying you can't tell the difference in the wine. You know you can tell the difference. It's sometimes it's subtle. And when you get on up into very expensive wines, very expensive wines, two, three, four hundred dollars. The subtle difference between a $400 bottle of wine and a $100 bottle of wine is there, but it's in things that aren't as pronounced as it is between $100 and $10. But it's there enough that you can tell the difference even in that price difference. So uh, quality. Bottom line, what's the difference? Quality. And you can tell the difference. Another question he asked was not about wine, but I thought it was interesting. He said, why do Russians love vodka so much? Because it is available. Vodka is usually made from potatoes. And Russia had a lot of potatoes. And they were easy to grow and easy to convert and distill into their vodka. And also, I read somewhere where it used to keep the Russians warm in their cold winters, and it gets bloody cold in Russia. We've complained about this solar vortex. solar. There's a polar vortex that's going through. And Russia has things like that all the time. It's just unbelievable how they get Watch the Russian weather and you'd be surprised how many polar vortexes that dip down there. But it keeps them warm, and it's cheap. It's easy to make, and it's cheap. And so they love the vodka because it's cheap. Don't hear too much about Russian wines. Russian wines, back when Russia was the big republic, used to come from Kazakhstan and uh, Crimea and, and different areas that are now no longer part of Russia. That's where a lot of the wines were made. And uh, Georgia things like this. This is Russian wines came from those areas. Russia mainland itself is not noted too much for wine. I'd uh, be interested. I'm going to have to look that up and see what I can find because I've always read things that you know the Russian vineyards were from the southwestern part of Russia and those are now their own individual countries. But the vodka, cheap, easy, keeps you warm. So, that's why they, they love their wine so much. What? Uh, oh, the, their vodka. What's that? My engineer just shouted something to me. Well, lots of cheap potatoes available. A lot of, a lot of potatoes, yeah. You, know, you know, a lot of sweet potatoes, a lot of potatoes, which, you know, they were able to, go, to steal into into their vodka. So, there you go. Hope those help you case in a couple of those, those answers on that. Let's see. Uh... I answer these, so that's good. And then the others we will address port next week. Henry River Winery. I just saw that here while I was looking at emails. Henry River. Uh last chance to save and buy online. Two for fourteen dollars. Perfect Valentine's Day gift coming up. Um uh, I thought that that's the orange. I'm not getting any orange out of it. That orange settled out of there have to drink it. Oh, okay.
0: It
2: no, she just said we're having, we found a bottle of the Florida State Winery orange. And uh, she chilled it. I didn't know we, this was it. I really, I just thought this was a white wine. Uh, I've been sitting here sipping it, and I thought it was Florida State Winery white wine because it tastes a lot like that. Then she came over and poured me more, and it was the orange. And even the colors faded a little bit over time, but. She just said, after I taste it, go, and the orange just sort of pops out a little bit. It comes in the aftertaste. So, excuse me, while I do a sip and see if it does. And you're right, there it is. Yeah, very nice. Wish we had more of that now. Um Oh, that's it. That's last one. I wish we had more that's coming up nice as it ages. Henry River. Buy wine tasting for two in February and enjoy our latest selection of wine plus a souvenir glass. All for only $14 for two people. You must buy it online and then use it between the 1st and the 24th. So, Henry River. Go there and uh, they're located in Newberry south Carolina. Uh, The website is uh, HenryRiverWines.com, I believe. Uh, Henry River Vineyards. So, if you're interested, if you're in that part of of the world, check them out. And while I am doing that, I think I have a couple other wineries here that I got from let me check and see if I can find them I know I do uh, because I always get it from uh, Whispering Oaks yep Whispering Oaks that's the one located in Florida close to the end of the Turnpike uh, northern end of the Turnpike Whispering Oaks has a fun filled weekend coming up this weekend. Uh they have uh their normal Friday and Saturday steak night specials and buy any three bottles of wine get the fourth one free. And their standard Friday and Saturday night meals uh steak and or salmon and potatoes and green beans and Baked beans and salad bar and bread, all twenty-seven fifty per person, tax and gratuity not included, reservations required. Check them out, winesofflorida.com, steak-night, steak-night. They are located in uh, Oxford, California, which is uh, north, across from the Villages, which is in the northern part of our wonderful stage here. They got music. They got all sorts of stuff coming up here. Plus they have a Valentine's Day special, which is going to be really pretty cool. Dinner for two for $75 is going to have, uh, a full three course meal with desserts and everything else. And so that's coming up also again, winesofflorida.com. That's whispering Oaks winery in Florida. So, uh, Check it out Oops. Let's see Where am I on this Okay I was going to talk about Alternative packaging I found some other stuff But I'm going to talk about Alternative packaging I Found an interesting article here On Alternative packaging And It It says that, well, it's quite a long article, but I'll paraphrase for you. and I'll, I'll break it down for you. In 2008, the French wine giant Beausseil shipped its Beaujolais Nouveau to the United States in pet bottles. That's that lightweight plastic container that you can put either a screw cap or a cork into it. And the the whole shipment from for their boost they nou came in the pet box. And nothing happened. No outrage, no rebellion against them for using pet, no anything. It just came and went. Some people can say this is because of the fact that Beaujolais Nouveau has passed its time and people just don't care anymore. Which I don't know. Beaujolais Nouveau is still very popular. And it was back in 2008, so uh, 2008. So it was back far enough that Beaujolais Nouveau isn't as blase as it is now. But it was, it just, nobody cared. It fell flat on its face, basically. Um, people didn't pay much attention to it. And the reason is because the wine industry has a hard time accepting change. Now you say, yeah, but Ron, we got all these new packaging. Yeah, we do. We've got a lot of new packaging out there now. We've got cans and we've got the pet bottles and we've got uh, boxes and we've got all sorts of stuff. And speaking of boxes, i found an interesting thing in Australia What they say 25%. Let me find that figure again here. Uh, 25% of all wine sold in Australia is sold in box wine in a box. 25%. Now, if you think about that, that's that's a lot, but still, though, we're not grasping the wine industry is not grasping alternatives like other industries. Um, for example, beer. Beer is the big one. Beer in a can. You you know can buy beer in a can just about everywhere for any reason for whatever. If you don't get beer in a can, you you, you think it'll upscale. Now some people I know would not drink beer out of anything but bottles. They said it changed the taste. I don't know if they got a palate that good. We need to convert them over to wine and start getting them to tell us about the differences in wine, but. The beer in a can has been around for a long time. Even spirits, vodkas, are coming in all sorts of things. 175 milliliter of any spirit is pretty much plastic now. You find very few that are actually in bottles anymore. A lot of them are switched over to plastic. So why isn't the wine industry doing that? Well, it's perception. A lot of it is perception. The sommelier walks up to your table, pulls out a wine in the box, and says, this is a nice vintage from 2010. You will enjoy this. And he pulls up the little spigot and pours it into your glass. And you would be appalled, as would just about everybody, and the sommelier himself, uh, having to do that. But why not? Those wines are the same. What you're pouring out of that spigot, is the same wine that you're pouring out of that bottle, only it's in a bag in a box as opposed to a bottle. Well, the wine industry is hard-pressed to change, but also its cost. Now, we talk about the carbon footprint, the carbon footprint of anything, and wine is also looking a lot at carbon footprint, just how much it's going to cost and how much it's going to do. When I was at the winery, I looked at alternatives to bottles. And I seriously looked at alternatives, what I could do and what would work and stuff like that. And bottom line, it didn't save that much in the long run. Now, there are wineries that do recycling, like uh, uh, the one down in Bradenton. Uh, Oh, geez, i get a blank I can't think of their name now. But they recycle everything down there. You bring your bottles back to them, they recycle, they reuse it, they they sterilize them, they use it again. They use wax on the top. You bring the wax back, you cut it off, you put it in a little bag or box, take it back, they melt it down, they use that again. Everything, they recycle everything down there. That is the way to do it, if you're going to do it. That leaves a very small carbon footprint, and that's going to really make a big difference. But there are so many other places that don't do that. In the United States, out of all the wineries, 90% of them are little small wineries. And the costs to keep your carbon footprint down is going to be more than what you're doing. Bottles are actually cheaper to produce, as far as a carbon footprint goes, than any other alternative. Now, you may argue with me, but it's a fact. There's, it's a little bit cheaper to produce bottles than it is to produce cans or some of the other alternatives. If you have a bottling plant across the street from your winery, mm-hmm. or your winery owns a bottling plant that's across the street, you are set That is, there is, you grab the bottles, you fill them full of wine, and you are good to go. But the problem starts there in shipping. Shipping costs, the carbon footprint of the bottles themselves, the cost of bottles themselves are cheap. It's when you start shipping them. And that's really where you, that's when you bite the bullet. I was getting bottles out of California. And I was getting a good price out of California. But then the shipping cost was jumping my price per case up a lot more than what I could handle. It was just, it it was staggering. I looked locally and found All-American Containers. I'll give you a plug, you guys. All-American Containers located in Tampa. They have offices in Pennsylvania and Tampa and a couple other places around the country on the East Coast. And coming out of Tampa, it was cheaper. My my transportation costs became negligible. And if I ordered a certain amount at a time, I wasn't charged for transportation at all. Delivery charge was free. And so even if a case, ordering it out of California, was costing me, I don't know, say $5 a case, it was still costing me another average of, Three dollars a case to ship it out of California to here, whereas if the ones locally would cost me six dollars a case or even six fifty a case, that was the cost. So in the long run, I was saving a buck fifty for every case. And when you start looking at how many bottles you're going through and what you're bottling, that really, really became quite significant. So I was getting local, and if you can get local, that's great. But most of the time, you can't. And especially with the big wineries. Now, a lot of the small wineries, out of the, you know, 10,000 wineries in the country, 9,000 of them are small wineries. And of those small wineries, they don't do a lot of shipping around the country. They don't ship their cases and all that to grocery stores everywhere, and they don't have to worry about all that stuff. So therefore, their shipping costs is limited to getting their bottles in and then... Their customers who are on their shipping list their mailing this, and there's quite a few of these that are tremendous mailing this, tremendous uh, shipping that they do every month. And it starts costing money it, the weight of these bottles to ship around, especially with UPS uh, and FedEx and uh, DHL. Their, their ship, the shipping is based on weight and size, and that weight kills you. Uh, how much is going to cost you for shipping. So that is really where your costs are jumping up a lot on bottles, whereas your alternatives, your cans, your pet bottles, your plastic bottles, your bag in a box, these, the shipping costs are much, much less. And that is where the savings comes in. That's where it makes a difference. But is anyone going to accept that there was there's a winery down in southern florida i don't know if he's still doing it he went real heavy into developing a bottle a plastic bottle that is lightweight has its own built-in um cork type on it it seals it's great it was is a great fantastic concept it really was and it was looked at by some of the big wineries out in California. He was talking to a lot of them. There's actually a couple of them over in uh, Europe that he was talking to about doing this this model, this concept model. And I don't know if anybody picked it up or not. He uh, had health problems, and I don't know if it continued to be uh, pursued or not. I hope so. I was going to, excuse me. I was going to use it at the winery, but again, he had health problems, and it slowed down the whole whole uh, concept that he was working on. But PET bottles, all these others, are much cheaper, much easier to ship around all over the place, and it makes it much much better for the carbon. Footprint. For example, uh, glass carbon footprint is as much as seven times, seven times more than that of a paper carton, which has the lowest carbon footprint. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, your bag in a box is the carbon footprint of that is is negligible. And most wineries are really into being sustainable. Everyone we've talked to, I think, they've all talked about how they try to be uh, friendly, earth-friendly. And because of that, they're looking at different ways to do it. But is it going to work? Is people going to accept it? And this is what it boils down to. Are people going to accept the different types of of, uh, packaging for wine? Now, if you're going to the beach, you can take the pet. That's great. Uh, if you're going just any number of places, a can or a plastic container or a bag will be so much better than trying to lug around the bottles. But yet, people still aren't grabbing it. They still aren't jumping on it like they should. And it's you know it's a niche now. It's uh, uh, something that people. Are hard to accept when it comes to it. It's a billion dollar business and you it's hard to switch over right away. It's hard to switch over, especially if people aren't going to accept it. And this is the key to anything. We have the pet bottles. We have the bags in the box. We have the uh, pouches. We have everything we want, everything we need. But the concept of people the people getting to accept this stuff is really the biggest problem. Cans, cans uh, are becoming more and more popular. Uh, the the uh, wine-based cocktail comes in a can, but again, people go, "Well, that's a cocktail. That's not really wine." You can you can find a lot of different ones that uh, are made with wine, but it's Labeled a cocktail, and so people go, Oh, that's that's different. That's not really a wine, that's a cocktail. We can accept that, but there are other types. Uh, consumers can enjoy a sparkling wine that is in a screw top plastic bottle uh, 187 millimeter aluminum bottles, and it has the same quality as the big ones, uh, big champagne bottles. Uh, same type of champagne only it's just a little bit smaller easier to drink bottles and for those of you who like a different type of wine there you go you can use that Cannes started it all back in 2004 when uh, Francis Ford Coppola Winery uh, started its Sophia Sparkling Wine and since then it has caught on even more and more and in California wine's I've gone a little bit more upscale wineries are going going with the cans. Uh, In the US, sales of cans uh, that hold uh, one and a half or uh, one, one and a half, or two uh, pours have grown from less than one million a year in 2013 to over 15 million. For the 12 months ending in uh, July of 2018, and that's the latest numbers, I, it's you know from 1 million to 50 million in five years. That's just it, it, people are starting to accept it, it is out there, and the people are starting to accept it. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Over 50% and 65% respectively is for the 250 millimeter can, which is about a third the size of a 750 millimeter and contains about one and a half drinks, uh, one and a half glasses of wine. This is what's catching on. Uh, Mike and I were talking about uh, wine in a can. and He said barefoot, uh, E.J. Gallo's Barefoot Cellars brand is one of the biggest ones in the country right now and wine in the can. The industry is looking at more and more of ways to get people to accept it. And again, acceptance is the key to it. Uh, the buzz balls, I don't know if you remember seeing those little rounded cans uh, of 375 millimeter plastic cans that... Uh, uh, contained uh, basically shots, buzz balls. The uh, retailers are requesting that they are being put into tall skinny cans now because they fit better on the shelf and uh, people are more inclined to grab those than they are the round, awkward cans. Uh, can cost approximately 40% less to package compared to the equivalent 9-liter case of wine in the glass model, 40%. If they start doing that, you won't see increases on the shelf of prices so much. You could see drops in the shelf. Uh, U.S. Uh, wine, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, is uh, now has gross up to 60% on his can. Uh, the two poor format has jumped up 22%. Uh, And and so these are things the stackable cans, the single serve stackable cans. I've seen those. 187 milliliter, single little serve, and they're all tied together. And you just cut them apart, and you have your own little individual drink, little plastic lid on individual drink. Uh, They have Red Blend and a couple of others. I don't know what all they have on. I've had the Red Blend. And it's uh, stack wine. It's just. Equivalent to a bottle of wine. So 187 times 4 gives you your 750 milliliter. And it's convenient. It's easy. You can throw it in your purse. You can put it in your backpack. You can carry it just about anywhere. And it works. It's easy. It's simple. Um, concerts, uh, uh, you know, shows, anything. It gives you something easy and convenient to carry around. And it gives you the wine as opposed to... Any other alternatives to drink uh, beer? A lot of people, oh, I don't like beer, it fills me up. Well, there you go. You've got your single-serve wines and stuff like that. So, so alternatives, it, it's happening, you know, with uh, uh, a lot of them. But it's just a matter, again, of getting the consumer friendly with it, aware of it, knowing it's out there, knowing that it's the same stuff. It's nothing different. It's nothing new. It's nothing that's going to change. And it doesn't taste any different. It's just a concept of the fact that the is gonna come and pour it out of a spigot and a bag in a box. I can just picture that now too, I really can. I can just see the sommelier coming over with a towel <laughs> over his hand and getting a little box out. <laughs> <laughs> or a little a little plastic pouch and unscrewing a little plastic pouch from Fortnite. <laughs> like an Ivy bag yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that type of thing yeah, on Fortnite. Yeah, I can see that. Can see.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I tried the can wine and. Yeah, convenient, and it is located in the same aisle. It's not like it's in a special aisle, you know, where other cans or sodas is located. It's in. It was. Where did I get this from? I don't know if it was maybe Walmart or Publix or something.
1: But, yeah, they were uh, at Target. Yeah, the,
0: Yeah, it was in the uh, the wine aisle, and uh, I was like, "Huh, oh, let me try this." We've been talking about canned wine. I figured I'll try it, and um, uh, it, the flavor was there. Yeah. But I I it's the just concept. to it's an yeah, it's it's to adjust to it. It's like I'm not the this isn't
2: or back to the
0: concept. Yeah. 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 Um, I, mean, I, don't,
2: I don't know. It's <laughs> The concept The concept <laughs> of the fact that you are yeah. drinking wine out of a can. But yeah. you can always pour it into a glass, I mean, you know, as far as that goes. That's true.
0: That's true. Yeah. But uh, well, uh, the
2: concept—the concept of it being in a can, or in yeah. a pet bottle, or in a plastic bottle—I mean, it just you know, yeah, yeah. You know, just so many, yeah. I just, you know, I, and and it's it's growing. I mean, it's just like you know, screw cap. People people are more and more accepting the screw cap, and mm. and not paying much attention to it anymore. And, and people are saying they like it and things like that. And so it's becoming becoming more and more accepted. But mm-hmm. you know, when the screw cap first came out, oh my gosh, it was like the end of the wine world as as we know it. Yeah. Now. <laughs> so you know, it, it, people catch on, people start doing it, and it, it's going to be convenient, it's going to be easy, and it's being used already. I mean, the growth you're, you're looking at growth from one million to twenty two million oh, over sure. a five year period. Oh my gosh, that's just a staggering in itself so that it is yeah.
0: yeah it is it is doing um okay one more thing
2: One more sure. thing. Mm-hmm. i saw this in the paper here i think uh captain i uh, engineer and i might go to this tarpon springs wine walk now, i've never heard of this but they're saying that this you know one uh, well, they didn't say any annual, but Tarpon Springs Wine Walk. This is Saturday, February the 23rd, which is about a month away. Tarpon Springs is located north of Tampa, actually northeast of Tampa, right on the, on the west coast of Florida here, north of, Tarpon, uh, north of Clearwater and St. Petersburg. So if you're out of the country, you can find it, that area. But it's from 4 to 8 p.m. at the Sponge Docks and from 4 to 9 p.m. downtown. And it includes 25 wine tastings, a wine glass, appetizers, shuttle to the Sponge Docks or downtown, and special offers. Tickets are $20 in advance, which is cheap. I was shocked to see that. $20 in advance, $25 at the day of the event, if available. Wine Walk starts at the wine at the docks, which they give the address here on the sponge docks, or at One Amazing Find in downtown, and then you walk one way or the other, and uh, it just, it's wine tastings, it's restaurants, it's all that good stuff, and it's, you uh, <clears throat> excuse me, so purchase tickets at the Wine Dogs or at One Amazing Finds or Tarpon Springs, com. So if you're looking at being in the area during that time, and that's, uh, you know, if you're going to come down right before spring training, come down a little bit earlier because spring training starts, you know, like, you know, a short time after that. So if you come down and go to that. Uh, Tarpon Springs, com is your website. Or seven two seven five four three one five nine three. I am looking at going to that. That sounds like a pretty cool thing to do. And by February the twenty third, it's going to be warm enough that you'll be able to do the evening walk and not freeze to death. So it uh, that's coming up. But I saw that in a the paper there and I was uh, I'd never seen that. I didn't know they had that. If this is the first one or if it's something they've been doing and I've always missed it. Or whatever, but I wanted to to throw that out there and let people know about that.
0: Yeah, and Tarpon Springs is a really, really neat area, too, so uh, they got a uh, really nice little downtown, uh, the Sponge Docks area and everything, and a lot of good places to eat, and uh, yeah, yeah. that that sounds like a neat event. Very good.
2: It's, what, five blocks, six blocks from the Sponge Docks up to downtown, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're having stuff along the way or if it's just going to be downtown or Spongejocks. I don't know how it's set up. I, you know, it doesn't give any more. That's the only thing I saw. I haven't been to the website, but it was just Tarpon Springs, USA. dot com. It's probably just telling about the town itself. You know, they might have a link. I'm sure. There.
0: If you are going this year, we will know about it on the 28th.
2: <laughs> yes, I guarantee you. You I will.
0: You will I'll have a complete report. report. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes, I will. There's yeah, no That'd be cool. Awesome. Yeah, we will. But yeah. I'll throw that out for anybody who might be in the area or anybody who might want to go. That's
0: Yeah, Tarpon Springs, Wine Walk good. Good. Yeah. good deal. Um I guess uh what is it, 805, 806? Okay. We yeah. will uh yeah. Close the show down for this week and for the month of January. This is our last, well, it's the 21st, of course. Our next show will be uh, February the 7th at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the program. Uh, remember, you can email us anytime, all about wine 101 at gmail.com. And uh, Ron answers those, and uh, as we saw tonight, picks topics to uh, talk about on the show as well, uh, based on your emails. So um, let us let them know, and um, we'll answer it on a or talk about it on a future episode. Um, what else? Uh, I guess that's all. And um, y'all that's have all. a great uh, weekend and a great week, and uh, we'll see you. Be Thursday safe. 47. Be warm. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yes. Be
0: safe. Be Especially warm. And be
2: thanks warm. for tuning in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks for tuning in.
0: We'll see you. Thank you
1: forward/all about wine thank you for listening drink responsibly and we'll see you next time on all about wine